welcome to A Dog Called Diversity, a podcast from the Culture Ministry, where we explore the themes of diversity, equity and inclusion through sharing stories of personal and powerful lived experiences, including how people have found their feet and developed their career in diversity and inclusion. We are so glad you are listening in. And if you need some help or support with your diversity and inclusion work, go to www.theculture-ministry.com for more information. JR has some great ways of helping us learn and understand about being on the autism spectrum. He's an autism self-advocate, writer, speaker and consultant who growing up was described as weird, stupid and lazy. A later-in-life diagnosis has helped him and others understand that his brain is just a bit different. A Mac in a PC world. A different operating system is a good way to think about it. We've always preferred Macs here at the Culture Ministry. Joining us from Missouri, USA, here's JR and your host, Lisa Mulligan. So today, I'm so excited to welcome to A Dog Called Diversity, J.R. Reed. How are you today? I am awesome. How are you? I'm I'm very well. I'm very well. And you, you won't be able to see J.R. or me, but we both have a, a love of dyeing our hair different colors. That's right. Uh, so J.R.'s got a bit goatee. of purple, purple goatee, oh. which is very yeah. nice. And uh, I'm rocking some pink in my hair today, as I yes, you are. Too. I am. <laughs> it goes very well with the red shirt. Thank you, thank you. I I like that as well. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but you are such an interesting person. I'm I'm wondering if you might huh. tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, I am actually like quite a few adults um, in this world in that I was diagnosed with autism late in life. Uh, I went all the way through high school, and I was almost 30 years old before they started diagnosing autism as we know it today. I mean, you know, over the, you know, from the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, they all, they diagnosed some people with autism, but they were, you know, extremely severe, severely, severely autistic, which we'll get into later. That's, I hate severely autistic. I think everybody on the spectrum is just the same. We all struggle with different things and we all excel at different things. Anyway, but my teachers in school called me weird, stupid, and lazy because wow. I well, no, it, but yeah, it, it, it really sucks. And I remember it to this day, but they didn't know. I mean, weird, stupid, and lazy are pretty hard words, but they, they didn't understand about autism or special education, or there was none of that at that point. So I, I got to give all but one of them a little pass. <laughs> what I won't give a little pass is my algebra teacher, who my answers were right, but I showed yeah. the work in a different way because I didn't understand the way he was teaching it, so I kind of taught myself. And because my answers were right, but my work was wrong, I got D minuses. So frustrating. So So frustrating. So he can, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But then as an adult, you know, I, I just, I always felt out of place. You know, I felt like there was just something weird with me, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, For example, I covered, for 13 years, I covered uh, professional ice hockey in North America. 
uh, the Anaheim Ducks franchise. And in ice hockey, there's three 20 minute periods with two 15 minute breaks in between. And I just had this need. I mean, it was like just inside, like a primal need to go outside between the periods. And I couldn't understand why that went on for 10 years. And then I got diagnosed and with autism, so many people have sensory overload and sensory problems. Mm-hmm. My problem was that I was sitting in an arena with 18,000 people with pucks and people banging off the boards and music playing loudly. So yeah. I needed to go outside and decompress. Now, nothing changed about that, but at least I knew why and I felt more comfortable because I had an answer. Getting diagnosed at 42 was an epiphany for me. It's, it was like the clouds opened up and I finally had a reason for a lot of things. It didn't change the things, but at least I knew why. Yeah. And what made you so, go and get diagnosed? How did, well, how did that I happen? was just seeing my psychologist. Um, you know, I was seeing him every other week, like I, I had been for years. And mm-hmm. after about three years, he said, have you ever thought you might be autistic? And I said, well, actually, yeah, yeah, I thought about it. And he said, you want to get tested? I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> and the next session we tested and the next session I got my answers back and I have the word Asperger's t- tattooed across here because <laughs> that's what I was diagnosed with, Asperger's syndrome, which is now autism spectrum disorder. Right. So um, for those of us who you can't see, JR's got a really oh, cool I, tattoo. You know what? I'm sorry. I, I put that up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, got the, I've got the word Asperger's tattooed on my forearm in purple with orange flames at the bottom to represent my brain that's always going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so how um, how would you describe Asperger's? If someone said, oh, what is that? What, how do you okay, describe well, it? First off, the latest version of the DSM, DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and, diagnostic and Statistical Manual, I believe. Uh, yeah. But it's what medical... Uh, mental health professionals and medical professionals use to code and to term different things. Asperger's syndrome, when it was a thing, mm-hmm. was on the high end of the autism spectrum. And most noted are social deficits, uh, not reading cues, facial cues, body cues, you know, Cues that people set up a, a beautifully romantic dinner and you just look like, hey, look, there's flowers and candles on the table. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it's a lot of social kind of misunderstanding. And then we, we tend to focus and have two or three real strong interests. And the the one misnomer that, that people have People have this feeling that people that are high-functioning autistic are smarter than everybody else. Well, if you do the math, uh-huh. people with autism are like two, three, maybe 4% more than the neurotypical population without autism. So that, that that's kind of a misnomer. Sure. And what are the what are the three things or two or three things that you're really passionate about? Uh, writing. Uh-huh. Uh, comic books. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, soccer. Uh, I mean, what I, what Americans call soccer, what I call football. Yeah. Okay. 
and not ice hockey because you said you, you yeah wrote about yeah that I mean years. ice hockey but but now five I've moved from L A to rural Missouri where there's one ice rink forty five minutes away and <laughs> and they were going to have me coach the first year that I was there but I wasn't from around there so, uh, <laughs> so that was a know. problem <laughs> uh, apparently it was. I told him not to call me in three months when the dad that they wanted to coach the team failed miserably and fell on his face. And I got the call two months later and I'm like, yeah, you had your chance. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have things growing up that you were really interested in or dare I say obsessed with? Um, Yes and no. Yeah. I, I had them, but I didn't have the long lasting obsessions. I mean, I might like, for example, I don't know if you guys have them in, you know, Australia, New Zealand, but the Hardy Boys books. Oh, yeah. Uh, It was, you know, a a book for, you know, like preteens, young teens, whatever. I mean, for a couple of years in middle school, I was just obsessed with the Hardy Boys books. I mean, I would read them back and forth, but then that kind of passed and I moved on to something else. But a lot of it has has been reading. Yeah. And yeah, there's other things kind of come and go. Yeah. So what difference has the diagnosis made? Has it made any changes to your life or you do do you do anything differently? Well, yeah, I do do some things differently, but it for the most part it really hasn't changed my life as much as it's changed my mindset that oh. now I understand. So I don't feel as bad for some of the, you know, quirky things that I might have to do. Sure. Um but yeah, I, I I've changed I've changed what I do because in the last year I've kind of come up with a theory that people with developmental disabilities such as autism aren't disabled by our autism, but we're disabled by the environments that we're in that are not catered to us. And the the best example I give is the shopping mall, loud, crowded, bright, but bright people (laughs) walking in random directions you know, where our brains are very tend to be very logical, you know. So in Australia, do you guys drive on the right or the left? The left. Okay. So you drive on the left. That's the way it does. It's got it's done. When you're walking down aisles, you tend to walk on the left, correct? Yes. So when they're all walking around, that screws with our brains. But if I would go to the mall on a Tuesday morning when it maybe wasn't quite as bright, there wasn't the noise, there wasn't the random traffic, I wouldn't be as disabled by my environment, but I'd still be autistic. Yeah, that's a really great example. Um, And it's one I really understand because I find shopping centers and supermarkets very overwhelming. Right, and and, and, that's just for me. I mean, some people get, and understand our sensory issues and our issues are varied. You know, there's a lot of things that w- we have in common, but they can be so varied and strange and odd to somebody else that you just wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, famous, famous autism advocate, and he's actually the only professor of autism in the United States. Dr. Stephen Shore once said, if you've met one person with autism, then you've met one person with autism. <laughs> yeah. Meaning that we're all so different and unique. Yeah. And and it's a different combination of, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, challenges, isn't it? Yeah. Or, or things that. Well, yeah. Yeah, challenges and things that we excel at. Yeah. 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 So true. Um, 
You were telling me earlier that you have a dog. Tell me about your have, dog. I do have an <laughs> autism service dog. Uh, what he helps me with mainly is in crowds. And when I'm around people, he, if people will start to get too close, he'll walk circles around me ever growing. Oh, wow. And kind of keep people at least, you know, a few feet away and give me a little personal space. And I've got a 60 pound dog because I'm a big man. <laughs> I'm not going to say <laughs> how much I weigh. I, I'm a big man, but he is trained in the ultimate, like I'm melting down and freaking out. He will yeah. pull me away from that situation towards the parking lot or, or wherever. Oh, wow. Yeah. I need a dog like that. (laughs) He can can sense my heart rate and my blood pressure from like 75, 80 feet away, which is really cool, except when he's laying outside on the patio and I kind of try to peek through the door window (laughs) and and see where he is. And he all of a sudden looks up because he can hear my heartbeat and he knows I'm right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, it it really is. For a dog that was found at six months old at a dumpster. Yeah. In a garbage bag. To do that is is pretty awesome. That's really awesome. And that's yeah. a it's a pretty special organization that works with it's a small dogs. organization in Missouri called Dogs Nation. And they work strictly with rescue animals and they use them for people with autism and vets with PTSD. And she's starting a new program, which get this, a lot of dog breeders. If their dogs are deaf or their dogs are blind, they'll just put them to sleep because they're of no use to them. She's taking some of the deaf dogs and training them to be service dogs for nonverbal autistics. Oh, that's perfect. (laughs) It's perfect. The dog can't hear. The person's not speaking. It all works out. Much made in heaven. (laughs) Yeah. So she's kind of rolling out. She's The puppies, I think, now are... Uh, probably pretty close to a year of the first batch that she got. So they'll, they'll be trained in another year or so. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, You also work with an organization called Different Brains. Tell me what you do uh, there. Yeah, Different Brains looks at uh, neurodiversity in all its forms. I mean, whether it be autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, bipolar, and you know, kind of the list goes on people whose brains are wired differently. And the way I explain wired differently is think of Christmas tree lights or Christmas lights that go on the outside of your house. You have some strands that are built to be solid the whole time. You have some that are built to flash. Well, they're wired differently, but they both do the same job. So that's like us. We're wired differently, not, not, we're not broken. We're not wired incorrectly, just differently. Yeah. And different brains really tries to kind of explore that and look at uh, people who have all these different conditions and, and they put up research and then they, you know, have interns and people that write articles about uh, what it's like for them. And I work with the interns on uh, speaking and on writing. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. That's that's so an, a really differentbrains.org. differentbrains.org. Perfect. I will put that in the show notes so that if people want to go and have oh, a thank look, you. they can do that. 
when you when you were growing up as a child, would have there been things that could have happened at school that might have helped you better now that you're an adult, knowing what you know as an adult? Yeah, I think in some situations I was kind of that, you know, shy kid that never wanted to, you know, get in line to play kickball at recess because I knew I was going to be last, even though I was one of the biggest kids. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of people with autism start their life a little uncoordinated. I mean, not severely, but um, I I started playing soccer when I was 10 and didn't Mm -hmm. really hit my stride as far as, you know, not tripping over my feet and things until I was about 14. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes a so, little while. But I, I think if I would have known that I was autistic back then, mm-hmm. I, I probably at certain points would have made certain decisions in another way or at least contemplated them. But I, I don't know that it would have made a huge difference. Yeah. Okay. Do you um, have any advice for workplaces that, of course, will have neurodivergent people? Every workplace will. And, you know, I know you said earlier that that the one professor in the U.S. in autism said that if you mm-hmm. meet one autistic person, you've met yeah. one person. So I don't want to generalize, but. No, no, but there are quite a few overlapping traits that a lot okay. of us do share. So. Sure. So in workplaces, what 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 are some of those things and how could they be? mitigated i guess some of the things that people deal with in a workplace is again noise um a lot of workplaces have fluorescent lighting and that is bad and actually some people on the spectrum can hear them yes they can hear the humming um having to talk to people that you really don't need to talk to because a lot because again we've got some of those social cues and you know we, we don't want to screw everything up but if you talk to your supervisor, and I, I will say that a lot more companies are getting, at least in the U.S., are getting involved in this. And we all know that Australia is decades ahead of any kind of autism or developmental disability research than we are. And so they probably already do these sorts of things. But you know, talk to your boss and say, this is what I'm struggling with. And for example, can I wear headphones when I'm not on the phone? Can you move me to a corner or someplace where there's not those bright fluorescent lights above me? Sure. You know, just little things like that that won't really cost the company anything. So true. But will will help the person have a much better time. Yeah. Yeah, they're good tips. And I'm different in some ways, but generally when I'm writing – I'm not going to put on noise canceling headphones, but I want everything off. And God forbid somebody starts mowing a lawn down the street <laughs> because I will want to be up in there <laughs> and realize it's really, I can't because I'm writing and they're doing their job. So, Are you getting on with your neighbors? <laughs> uh, yeah, for the most part. <laughs> Yeah, I think got the, um, one, got the one that looks over the back fence every once in a while. So, yeah, I, I've got a sign in my back window that says, What's up, peeping Tom? Because <laughs> <laughs> his name is actually Tom, so that kind of makes it even funnier. <laughs> That's so cute. 
That's I'm so just cute. waiting till I'm in the backyard and he says something about it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask you about um, the COVID period and was that a help to you or was it a hindrance? Um, and I'm talking about the me, lockdowns. No, 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 no. no. I'm saying, working to online. me, it wasn't such a big deal. Mm-hmm. But for some people, it was like they'd been raptured. Yeah. They thought it was just the most amazing thing ever. They now had all these systems in place not to deal with people. Yes. And I was like that to a point, but there's things like I really like to cook. So I don't want to do grocery delivery and let somebody else grab me the crappy ears of corn (laughs) and the meat that expires tomorrow when that's not what I would have gotten. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I kind of went out of my comfort zone a few times, you know, to buy meat, buy produce, buy things like that. But for the most part, I I stayed at home for a while and it it did get to the point where it was like, I I just, I've got to go out. I've got to drive. I've got to, you know, even if I don't stop anywhere, just, just get me out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, um, during the lockdown, I was in Singapore and, um, you know, I was in a, a household with my husband and my kids and a live-in helper that you can have in Asia. Mm-hmm. And on Sundays, I used to go for a walk by myself to the supermarket by myself to kind of be by myself because I was never by myself yeah. during that time. So I completely get what you're talking about. And, oh, yeah. but But that was just the opposite for me. I was by myself the whole time. Mm. I had a dog to have deep conversations with. (laughs) And in my mind, he usually gave me crappy answers. (laughs) Like I would talk to him for 15 minutes and look at him. He would give me this look. And I swear that look said, get over it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but I do understand what you were saying. You know, Hmm. you needed to get out to be alone. I needed to get out just to be around one or two people for even 20 minutes if I could. Yeah. Yeah. And and choose the good produce. (laughs) And choose the good produce and meat. I mean, you know, canned goods are canned goods, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. (laughs) I wanted to finish by, I guess, asking how do you like people to interact with you what what should they keep in mind i like people i I guess from the start i want them to interact with me like themselves i can try to see if i understand it i may i may not i think i do have an advantage in the world in that i was trying to be forced into that neurotypical mold for 42 years so I had to learn things like sarcasm, you know, right. where a lot of people just don't. I mean, if do you guys watch the Big Bang Theory down there? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, people <laughs> think we're Sheldon. And, you know, <laughs> although he has not officially been diagnosed on the show, but we all know he's. Of course. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He, yeah. Whatever. Um, so what was the question again? <laughs> How do you like people to interact with you? 
Yeah, so let them just interact as themselves. And then if I don't understand what they're saying, I personally have no problem coming out and saying, you know what, I'm autistic. I, I learn and understand things a little bit differently. Can I ask you a couple of questions about what you just said? Cool. But that is the turning point. Either people walk away yeah, or they say yes. But yeah. I will say more often than not, they walk away. Really? Yes. I will tell you when it comes to dating, I like to use this phrase. When they hear the A word, which mm-hmm. is autism or Asperger's, they're gone. Really? Yeah. Because people don't know or people fear what they don't understand. And people don't really understand what autism is. You know, they see things like um, Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman. He was autistic, but he was also a savant. Well, his makeup and his actions were more savant than they were autistic, but they played up the autistic. Um, The imitation game with Benedict Cumberbatch, where he played Alan Turing, the man who created the code breaker in World War II. And which went on to be the first computer. Well, people believe now that he was autistic, but you know, he, he had so many problems with people. Then you've got your Einsteins, you know, who failed, was either science or math and (laughs) got fired as a, like a mail clerk or something because he couldn't sort things the right way. (laughs) (laughs) He, He just wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, you, you're not in a relationship now? Not now. Not now. Um, I went out with somebody who was autistic for about a year and a half and we broke it off early in the COVID Uh and needed to, but I mean, it wasn't, you know, like people can't see this. (laughs) We weren't at each other, you know, it was amiable enough. You know, and then I dated somebody kind of casually for about three months, and that's been over for over a year. And I just haven't had the desire because so much of it is just rejection after rejection after rejection. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten to where I put autism in any online dating thing. So it's there right up front. So, you know, I'd rather be blown off right from the start than, you know. Then invest yourself and then two conversations yeah. or a couple of texts in. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, but that, that, that doesn't mean I won't start. I'm actually in the middle of moving. I just bought a house about 45 minutes away. So I'm going from the town of 4,000 to the town of 150,000. Wow. That I should have gone to when I left LA because we <laughs> didn't think LA with all its people, yeah. 4,000 people. There's some That's a big jump. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big jump. And you know what? You'll have to get up early or, and to go to the shopping centers before all the people go in. <laughs> uh, that's what Amazon's for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so sorry about dating. And I was going to tell you there's a, a beautiful TV show in Australia. And I think they've Love started. On the spectrum. Love on the Spectrum. I, I've watched oh. the two episodes of Australia and I've watched the. Uh, one from the U.S., and I will have to say that the words I use most often during the show uh-huh. are, no, uh, no, 
No, no, no, no, no, <laughs> no. Tried it. Doesn't work. <laughs> do something else. <laughs> so you're not enjoying it? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I am, but I, I, I'm looking at it and I'm like, he's doing something. I'm like cringing, like, no, I know how this is going to turn out. <laughs> uh, have you seen the one from the U.S.? I haven't. I've I've seen the yeah. one in Australia, but um, how does the U.S. one differ? Um, not much. Not much. Very similar. Not much. I mean, it's it's the same premise. It's the same types of people they're connecting. Yeah. Uh, just in the United States rather than in Australia. Okay. So I, I really didn't see much difference between the two, but there was a girl in the first episode on a first date who knew the guy for 30 minutes and professed her love. <laughs> well, like, good on her. <laughs> but I'm like, no, but you don't. <laughs> You don't, not yet. <laughs> and that I freaked the guy um, out. And... Yeah. <laughs> was he off then? No, but he was quite cautious after that. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, JR, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, I... I love, I don't call people weird, but I love quirky people. And you know what? Um, you know what? I've decided that when I came out from my diagnosis, the first words went through my head were, I'm not weird, just autistic. So I kind of took that as the branding for my advocacy, my platform. But over the years, I've realized I am weird. It just doesn't have to do with the autism. <laughs> <laughs> Because weird's fun, right? <laughs> oh, no. This this was awesome. I love when it's more casual and conversational than yeah. an interrogation. Oh, no. I don't want to interrogate people. Yeah. That's not good. So, but no, I, I so love much. it. I will be back anytime. <laughs> I will help you in any way that I can. Thank this you so fun. much. No problem. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Some great takeaways from JR including that many people are disabled by the environment, but can function perfectly well when the environment is suited to them. Workplaces can help people on the autism spectrum by having quiet spaces to work, reducing bright lights, and not requiring eye contact, as examples. JR works with companies, groups, and families to educate, create an accepting culture, and help those with autism lead happy, fulfilling lives. At the Culture Ministry, we know how challenging and lonely it can be working in diversity and inclusion, and how progress is often slow. You might be just getting started in diversity and inclusion, or you might be on your way. The Culture Ministry is here to help you with your diversity and inclusion progress. Go to www.thecultureministry.com to learn more. If you enjoyed this episode and maybe learned something, please share with your friends on social media. Give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. This makes it easier for others to find a dog called Diversity. Diversity.